Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10 together. This morning, our, our message title is The Evidence of Faith. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talk, been talking about the end times, and last week we looked at living in light of eternity. And so in light of Christ's return, the question this morning is, are we spiritually ready? Are we ready for that glorious day when Christ is either going to return or, or when Christ is going to call us home? So if you have your Bibles, again, um, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10 together. These are the words um, of the Lord. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Our message point this morning is this. You can't sugarcoat sin. You can't sugarcoat sin. You can try, but it's not going to work. Notice our first point. It is this. Call a sin what it is, lawlessness. Again, in verses 4 and 5, we read, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman used to tell of a Methodist preacher who often spoke on the subject of sin. And when he did this, he would mince no words, and he defined sin as the abominable thing that God hates. A leader in his congregation didn't like that he preached on sin so much and that he spoke so harshly about it. And one day he approached um, this pastor and, and he told him, Pastor, he said, um, is there any way that you can speak um, less plainly about sin? Is there any way that you maybe could call a sin something else? else. And, and so he said, um, maybe you could call it an inhibition or an error or a mistake or a twist in our nature. And the, and the preacher said, you know, I understand what you're saying. And so, so the preacher retreated back to his desk and he came back with, with a bottle and he told this um, prisoner, he said, inside this bottle is strychnine. And we know that it's strychnine because on its label, it reads poison. And he said, would you suggest that I change this label and put on the front of it wintergreen instead? Pastor made his point. You can call a sin by any name you want, but it's still a sin. You know, several um, years ago... Um, on on during one weekday, there was a gentleman um, that had come to me, and and he set me down probably about where Roy is sitting this morning, and and he said, "My family and I are leaving the church, 
And he said, we're leaving because the messages you preach are too harsh. And, and I thought about that, and I would rather preach the reality of the gospel today and see people saved from the pits of hell than be accused on judgment day of preaching a sugar-coated message. You know, I hope that is the case for all of us in this room. We would rather be accused of preaching and teaching and talking too harshly about sin than sugarcoating it. John again says in verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. I don't think there's a single person in this room this morning that would disagree with the fact that we are living in some tumultuous days, aren't we? We are seeing a picture of lawlessness all around us. Every time you turn your TV on, many of our large cities are in chaos. There's rioting, destruction of property, people killing people. Those who have been set apart to protect our streets are being defunded. New York City cut their budget, their police budget, by $1 billion. Now, I don't know what their annual budget is, but no matter how you look at it, a billion dollars is a billion dollars. That's a lot of money that should be going to protect the streets of New York. They're, they disbanded the anti-crime division. Cities have allowed people to set up their own communities within already established communities and have given them permission to police themselves and to govern themselves. But here's the deal. Many of those communities have since been shut down but, and, and removed or are in the process of being removed because lawlessness does not work, does it? Lawlessness does not work, and we're seeing the, the, that clearly displayed every time we turn the television on. Several years ago, I partnered with a former church member um, for my last church that had a prison ministry. And he had been asking me for, for, for months to go with him on one of his trips, and I was always so busy. And so there, there happened to be one of his trips that I was able to go on, and he wanted me to go down to the Texas Valley um, to, to, um, to go into several prisons down there. And he said, well, there's this chance while we're down there that we may cross into Mexico and go to a Mexican prison. And I want you to know I was fine about going to our Texas prisons, but whenever he mentioned the Mexican prison, I got a little apprehensive about that. Well, I, I agreed to go on the trip, hoping we wouldn't go into Mexico. Go on the trip, we visit a couple of the Texas prisons, and he shares with me that, hey, we got permission to go into Mexico, to go to the Mexican prison. And I was like, great. Um, and so we loaded up the car, we crossed the border, drove a few miles, and we arrive at this Mexican prison. Now, from, from all appearance, it looked like any other Mexican prison might look. Okay. It's in the middle of nowhere. It has large walls, razor wire around it. Outside, there were plenty of guards that, that were stationed around. Um, and so we get there. Um, we're ushered into the, the prison. And when we got inside there, I noticed that there was something missing, and that was guards. And so I turned to Al, and I said, I said where are the guards? And he said, well, um, this prison um, actually has two wardens. There is the warden that, that is of the state that controls everything from outside of the prison. And then there is a self-appointed warden inside the prison that is a prisoner. Um, and I thought to myself, I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? And so I will assure you that the next couple of hours were probably the most um, 
unsettling hours of, of my life. And, but, but what that scene taught me while we were inside, you know, there was never a point when our lives were in danger. Because people understood that if they got out of hand, they were going to have to answer to the warden that was inside of that prison. That told me right there that lawlessness does not work. Even in the midst of some of the most hardened criminals, law and order is established. And we see this morning at the root of lawlessness is sin. Sin is the problem. Sin is lawlessness. It is a big problem. It is a problem that plagues all of humanity and has plagued humanity since the first sin committed in the Garden of Eden. The very word sin means to miss the mark. It's like an archer who shoots his arrow at a target. And, and that, that arrow is supposed to go right in the dead center of that target, but whenever it doesn't, it's a miss, right? Our sin is missing the target, missing the target of what God established for our lives. In Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of His intended um, righteous state for our lives. We are told in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. You know, the story is told of a little boy who had um, been disciplined by his mom. Um, this little boy gets disciplined, and he gets so angry at his mom that he stormed all around the house. And finally, he went into his mom's closet, and he slammed the closet door closed. And, and, and the mom um, waited a little while, and whenever the boy stopped making any noise, she went to the closet, she opened up the door, and she said, what are you doing? And he responded, well, I spit on your coat. I spit on your dresses, I spit on your shoes, and now I'm just waiting for some more spit to form. You know, sin is like that. When we sin, it is like we are spitting on God and telling Him that we do not need Him. Well, when John speaks as, of, of sin as being lawlessness, he is saying that when we sin, we are living in defiance against the law of God. Our sins that we commit are, is, is a picture of us not living up to God's standard for our life. Sin is serious, and not to repent of it carries with it the penalty of death. But there is hope, there is good news, because Christ is so, the solution. In verse 5 we read, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Folks, to our God, sin was such a serious problem and an offense that, that he sent Jesus to provide a way for our sins, our transgressions, our rebellion to be forgiven. He came to take away our sin. John the Baptist, you remember what he declared at the very moment of Jesus' public ministry? He looked out over the horizon and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You may ask this morning, what qualified Jesus to become a sin sacrifice for us? Well, first of all, he's God and he's always been. In John 1, 1, we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus has always been and he spoke creation into beginning. Not only um, 
did he speak creation into beginning, but he gave each of us in this room the breath of life. That is what makes Jesus more than qualified to become a sin sacrifice for us. He came and he dwelt among us and he took on flesh and he became 100% man as well as 100% God. We've already looked at this throughout our First John series, but in First John 2, 2, we read of how Jesus is the righteous one. In 3, 3, he is the pure one. And in 3, 5, he is the sin sinless one. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Psalm 103, we read about Jesus takes our sin and removes them as far as the east is from the west. That is a picture of love, isn't it? That is what love looks like. Jesus became sin so that you and I might may be made righteous, so that we may be made as he is, as we looked at last week. If, in, 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 in this morning, it is, it is very clear. If you would cry out to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you make the declaration for him to be Lord and Savior of your life, Scripture is abundantly clear that you shall be saved. Notice our next point this morning. It is this. Christians do not continue to sin. In verses 6 and 7, we read, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. We've looked at this word abide a, a little bit over the past several weeks. But again, the word means to rest in or dwell. John, John tells us this morning that those who abide in Jesus, those who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, do not keep on sinning. Now understand, whenever, whenever John talks about keep on sinning here, um, he, he, he is saying that as believers, we do not continue in a lifestyle of habitual sinning, okay? The reality is we are going to sin. Okay? As long as our, our, our spirit is clothed in this carnal flesh, we are going to continue to sin. John is not saying that we are not going to do that. To say we are sinless today would be to deceive ourselves. John said in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You and I are going to sin as long as we are clothed in this flesh. However, as believers, we should never be caught in a pattern of habitual sin. We should never keep doing that same sin over and over and over again. Several weeks ago, um, I quoted Tony Evans who said, we are never going to be sinless, but we can sin less. You agree with that? All of us can sin less than we are today. That's being made in the image of Christ. That is pursuing righteousness, being made like Christ, and, and, and wanting to be like him. As we become more like him, we're going to sin less. Again, the question is, do we sin or not? All of us sin. The question is, how do we react to our sin? How do you and I react when we sin? Are we broken over our sin? Do we ask the Lord to forgive us for those sins? Or do we go on as if nothing ever happened and just move on? John says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Notice next, avoid being deceived. 
In verse 7, we read, little children, the very first part of that verse, let no one deceive you. You know, one of the major themes of 1 James that we've been look, our 1 John that we've been looking at over the weeks is, is these false teachers that were present in the church. Um, and, and John is warning against though, um, against, against falling into the devil's schemes or, or following after these false teachers or, or these antichrist and, and wants the church um, to be aware of the antichrist, that singular person that's going to rise one day. You know, I read just this week a poll that was conducted by Lifeway, the Southern Baptist Convention publishing arm, um, and, and they said that 40% of people they polled feared that leaders that walk away from the faith will lead others astray. Have you ever known leaders lead people to lead people astray? I think all of us have. I think we've seen people, leaders that have left the church under whatever circumstances that might be. And when they leave, people leave, right? Oftentimes they leave because they're following a leader. They're not following after the Lord. Here's the reality. Leaders are going to let us down, but the Lord never will. Notice, um, notice next. Um, followers of Jesus are not deceived because they practice righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The mark of a Christian is evident in this verse. A Christian puts into practice righteousness. They seek to be like Christ. They pursue holiness. They pursue purity. They are found to be in right standing with God. If you were to die today, the question is, would you be found to be in right standing with God? And that's, uh, you know, I think in this room this morning, I have um, pretty complete confidence that all of us would be found to be in right standing because we have been um, saved from our sins, okay? But, but those that are watching our services online or maybe in our next hour, I don't know if that's the reality of that. You know people today that if they were to die, they would spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And that's why we pursue righteousness so that other people can see Jesus in us. And as a result, they too hopefully will come to know Christ and experience righteousness themselves. Our, our final point this morning is this, signs of faith. Notice the first sign of faith. It's this, a repentant heart. And in verse 8, we read, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Make no mistake about it, sin originated with the devil. Sin was birthed out of the devil's heart. He is the author of it. He is the creator of it. He is the one that is behind all of the destruction and the mayhem that we are seeing um, across our world, um, amongst our, our leaders and in our, our streets. The reality is every single person on the face of this earth, they're either a child of God or they're a child of the devil. A child of God has repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus and surrendered their lives unto his lordship. They practice righteousness, pursue holiness, walk in the spirit, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. However, a person that continues to sin is of the devil. Notice again in, in, in verse 8, the latter part says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Folks, it doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? The reason Jesus Christ left heaven and came and dwelt among us was to destroy 
the works of the devil. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he won, didn't he? And us, being set free from the bondage of sin, have experienced that victory, right? Since humanity's fall in the garden, sin has entered the heart of every man, woman, student, and child. And every single person will either die to their sin or they will die in their sin. 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, there was, there was three people that were crucified. There was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was on that Christ di- cross dying for the sins of all of humanity. On either side of him died two criminals. One of those criminals died in his sin. The other criminal died to his sin. The criminal that died in his sin is the one who denied Jesus from the cross. The criminal who died to his sin is the one that said, Jesus, remember me in paradise. And Jesus said what? Today you will be with me in paradise. So that man died to his sin. He experienced the cleansing blood of Jesus from that cross as Jesus was shedding that blood. That other criminal is spending eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. When you think about those that you do life with outside of the doors of this church, of those two criminals, which one represents those that you do life with? Have they died to their sin or are they dying in their sin and in danger of the pits of hell today? Notice the next sign this morning. It's this, a changed heart. In verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. A sign of unbelief is, a con- is continuing in a pattern of sinfulness. A child of the devil continues to sin. A child of God, though, does not continue to habitually sin. In fact, we are told here that a believer cannot continue to sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in them. The Word of God is in- implanted within them. A new nature has been given to all of us at the moment of our salvation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, um, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are given a new nature at the moment of our salvation. So we cannot continue to habitually sin. A person that has the very nature of God in them is not a person that is able to habitually sin because this new nature abhors sin. This new nature was victorious over sin. If you continue to habitually sin, then you need to ask yourself this morning, am I a believer? Am I a Christ follower? A repentant, changed heart is also a loving heart. In verse 10, we read, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know, next week we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about love. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together as well. But, but John makes it clear here in this verse that there are two evidences of faith. One is righteousness and the other is love. He is saying here that you can't have one without the other. He is also saying that both give evidence of our faith in Jesus. If you are found to be in right standing with God, then guess what? You're going to love others, and you're going to love your neighbor. If you do not love others, if you do not love your neighbor, then the question is, is the love of Jesus in you? Is the Spirit of God indwelling within you? Is the Spirit of God abiding in you? 
And let's rejoice in our faith. We have been liberated from the curse of sin, haven't we? We've been given life, an abundant life that comes from Jesus, and we have been given love. And it's a sacrificial love, a love that is willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, just as Jesus laid down his life for us. Our takeaway this morning is this. Do you live in rebellion against God, or have you been radically transformed by Jesus? Ask yourself that this morning. Do I live in rebellion against God, or have I been radically transformed by Jesus Christ? Which of those represents, those statements represent you? I pray all of us have been radically transformed by Jesus, but we know many people that have not, right? And we know that if they were to die today, that they're going to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And we, as Christ's ambassadors, have been called to go to them. So let's be obedient and go after them and share with them the good news of salvation. Let's, as believers, practice righteousness, pursue holiness and purity and love unconditionally. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, just recognizing that, Lord, you are good, and Father, oftentimes we are not. Father, we recognize that every single one of us in this room have, have fallen short of your intended purpose for our lives. Lord, we have missed the mark of holiness. But Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to this earth to die for our sins, and to die for the sins of, of the world. And so, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, for every person in this room, Lord. Father, there may be someone in this room this morning that's caught up in a sin that they just are, are just struggling with, Father. And we know that, that believers struggle with sin. But we also know, Father, that they can be victorious over that sin because you who abide in them were victorious over that sin. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just allow that, that bondage to be broken. Allow that, that, that thing that is, 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 is preventing them from, from, from living um, at peace with you and at peace with others to be just, just severed this morning. May they just break it and see it removed as far as the east is from the west. Father, I even pray this morning for those that in this next hour that are going to be joining us online. Father, I pray for the hearts of every man, student, woman, and child that will be in those services. Lord, I know that, that um, this message this morning, Father, is very direct and very straightforward. But, but, Father, sin is destructive. Sin is, is damning. And to not repent of it means an eternity separated from you. And so, Father, I pray that, that we will see many people today set free from the bondage of sin. Lord, be with us now, now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.